there are more ways to breach your information security systems than you can possibly imagine. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. The opportunities for cybercrime are just rampant today. We're seeing all sorts of cases where companies' sensitive information is compromised or stolen. And as supply chains become increasingly global and complex, you can expect the problem to get even worse. Time for companies to take a fresh look at their data security and, even more important, their entire risk management effort. But where to start? Today, I'm talking with Steve Durbin, Managing Director of the Information Security Forum. He lays out the severity of the problem and offers a number of tips on how to protect your information and intellectual property against thieves. You might be surprised to hear the many ways in which companies today are vulnerable. Add to that the ever-changing landscape of government regulations, which are constantly playing catch-up with reality, and you have a situation that is in dire need of being addressed. So here is my conversation with Steve Durbin. Steve Durbin, welcome to the program. Hello, Bob. Glad to be here. Just real quickly, first of all, tell me about the Information Security Forum. Yeah, well, very briefly, Bob, we're a, a global organization. We're a, a not-for-profit, and we work with some of the largest companies in the world to try to provide them with insight, guidance, and tools that they can use to mitigate against cybersecurity risks and help them to really manage their information assets wherever they may be located, and that increasingly is at, is at a global level. Let's talk then about some of the major risk factors that you see in supply chain cybersecurity today. What are some of the big ones? Yeah, well, some of the big ones that, that we're seeing in our membership is uh, very much concerned about. Top of the list, clearly, it's, it's cybercrime. Um, a huge amount of interest in terms of the cyber criminal fraternity and getting hold of intellectual property and selling that and just causing disruption across the supply chain. So a lot of concern there. Second area um, that you'd have to pull out is the ever-changing regulatory landscape. Um, and the third one that I'd pull out specifically is the supply chain itself, the way in which we have perhaps contracted in the past uh, with suppliers perhaps isn't the most effective for moving into a, a cyber resilience and cyberspace-enabled environment, which is where the majority of supply chains are headed if they aren't already there. Well, let's start taking some of those uh, points one by one, if we can, starting with cybercrime. Where is that coming from exactly, and what is the purpose of the – what was the goal that the, that the cyber criminal has in accessing this information? Well, we've seen an increase, Bob, in, in certainly the demand for intellectual property theft. And um, cyber criminals obviously understand that there is immense value related to that. We've also seen a bit of an uptick in terms of what we term state-sponsored 
um, attacks from that regard. You know, intellectual property is immensely valuable, as, as certainly all, all your listeners will, will understand, particularly, of course, if you're in, say, the pharmaceutical space or if you're in the uh, defense manufacturing space. Um, the ability to bring product to market ahead of a third party that you're competing with you should never be underestimated. And uh, we are seeing, I was talking to, to somebody just a few weeks back in the United States, uh, a pharma company, in fact, that was telling me that they had recently seen one of their drugs being beaten to market, and they hadn't realized, actually, that their intellectual property had been stolen through the supply chain um, until they, uh, they found this other drug on the market that bore a startling resemblance to their own. So it's a big market opportunity. Uh, cyber criminals clearly are uh, effective at uh, hacking in and, and stealing this kind of information, and, and very often without... Uh, without the owner of that information necessarily being aware. Was that pharma company able to pinpoint the source of the leak? It was uh, certainly trying its hardest to do that. But um, uh, again, you know, forensics in this take a, a, a huge amount of time, not helped, of course, by the fact that supply chains today are not simply within one country or one jurisdiction. So there's a lot of work that they still have to do to, to really pinpoint where that came from. You mentioned the rise. I, I guess you, you, you're saying that this is that there is an increase in state-sponsored cyber crime or cyber uh, espionage, so to speak. Is that in fact the case, and where is that coming from? Yeah, we've certainly seen um, a rise in that. I think over the last uh, what I would say probably 18 months. And again, uh, it, it really does depend what uh, what it is that you're, you're going fishing for. Uh, but certainly, some of the Eastern Asian countries have been uh, become more effective in this uh, this space. Um, and it's a concern for everybody, uh, again, not just because of the uh, perhaps loss of, uh, of intellectual property, although that is serious enough, but also because of the potential to, to just to disrupt the supply chain, to reduce trust, to draw into question the whole issue of reputation. We, we really do feed a lot on reputation and trust within the supply chain. You know, we've probably been doing business with uh, our suppliers and, and providers for, for quite some while. Um, and so we've come to expect a certain standard that, uh, of delivery and, uh, and integrity in the way that they deal with us. So this kind of thing, over and above just you know, stealing information, which is bad enough, really does then draw into question this whole trust and, uh, and business relationship. China is the country that's been most in the headlines, I think, when it comes to state-sponsored cyber espionage, the mysterious branch of the Chinese military that is supposedly dedicated to this very purpose. Is that, in fact, the, the biggest uh, threat right now, or are other countries involved in this uh, as well? Certainly there is a, there is a big concern about uh, the Chinese activities in this space, as, as you've pointed out. Um, but they're certainly not alone. I think they have become more effective, perhaps, at some of the ways in which they've been going about doing it. But it is a global problem that, uh, that we face. What do you mean by regulatory landscape? What are some of the regulations that are out there that affect this issue? The big challenge here, Bob, to be quite frank, is that we don't have consistency across the world. So some of the regulations with which we might be familiar, for instance, in the United States, would not necessarily exist uh, in, say, um, some of the Asian countries. Uh, or indeed across Europe. You know, there's a, there is a difference in, in the way that regulation is being uh, measured, monitored, managed in all of those jurisdictions. And that can present some challenges, particularly for the uh, sharing of information throughout the supply chain, for the way in which different organizations within your supply chain may manage that information, may deal with that information, may protect that information. So 
The challenge for me really is uh, is twofold. Uh, the first is we do have a regulatory landscape that is in a state of flux. It is changing. So the onus is on the organizations really determine what the different jurisdictions are in which they're having to uh, to share information because that then has a bearing on the way in which they can protect that information and indeed what they need to do to comply with the regulations in those countries. The second issue, though, is that the third parties with which you're dealing in your supply chain may have a totally different perspective on what security looks like because they may be operating under a different regulatory regime. And so really digging into some of these issues, asking questions, uh, ideally before contracts are let, of course, is, is the way to go here. But I also recognize that we've got a lot of contracts out in the market there that have been in place for quite some time. Uh, and it's not always so easy to, to go back over those and determine exactly what some of the liabilities or, or risks might be. I guess there's no short-term hope for that particular issue to be resolved by having this addressed on an international level, is there? I mean, uh, is is there any attempt to address the issue of cybersecurity through some of the proposed free trade agreements, for instance, or through the United Nations or any other international body? I think the, the, the good news is that there is talk. I mean, you have to start somewhere, right? Um, at least we're talking about this. At least there is a recognition that there is a challenge in this particular space. I think uh, short-term, what people are falling back on is things like standards. They're um, you know, insisting on certain standards in, in terms of the, uh, the way that information is stored and, uh, and managed. NIST, of course, has been doing a lot in terms of the uh, uh, cybersecurity framework that it, uh, that it released, and I'm, I'm pleased to say that we participated in that, in that program. And I think that has helped as well for, for U.S.-based organizations. Which program is that you're talking about? It, the uh, the NIST cybersecurity framework, the, the development of the way in which you manage uh, information and protect that um, at a number of different stages throughout its, uh, its life cycle. So I think that there are initiatives like that that, that certainly are, are, are coming through, but we're nowhere near, I would say, reaching a level of consistency uh, in terms of a regulatory framework that we can all sign up to that would, uh, that would certainly ensure the integrity of, um, of supply chains around the world yet. Now, it does seem like one of the weak points in international supply chains is in the supplier relationship side. Can you talk a little bit about that? Is that a particular peril when you're dealing with so many suppliers on a global basis that there are many more opportunities for leaks and cybercrime or uh, the, the loss of key data to happen then? Certainly the volume is a big challenge, the, the sheer number. And, and, you know, when I talk to some of our ISF members, they, they tell me, They've got upwards of 120,000 tier one suppliers that some of them are trying to manage. So how do you go about doing that? Well, for me, it starts with having some, some pretty sound governance in place at the outset that really allows you to understand what is going to be acceptable from your perspective in terms of the way that you manage information security and data, of course, throughout your supply chain. So you need to have a comprehensive control framework in place within your enterprise that at least you can then um, move forward from. The second piece uh, for me that's hugely important is risk assessment. For me, management of a supply chain is all about risk these days. So it's about really looking at and conducting a risk assessment around the levels of information that are being shared, and that will change depending on the countries in which you're operating, uh, the regulatory frameworks that are in place, 
um, and the very nature of some of that information that you could be sharing. So conducting a solid risk assessment before you actually get into uh, a contract with a supplier is, uh, is certainly good practice. But again, you know, uh, I, I do recognize that not everybody is in that luxurious position because some contracts have already been uh, let and they've been there for quite some while. So going back over some of those, refreshing as appropriate, reviewing uh, perhaps on, a, on an annual basis and certainly keeping them up to date would be the requirement uh, there. But it means that you have to work collaboratively across the enterprise. We're talking about legal, we're talking about purchasing, we're talking about security, all working together in terms of uh, managing some of these contract-based issues and also those, those third parties. Uh, and there's a time and resource requirement uh, associated with all of those. So easy to say and not so easy to do. The multi-tier nature of so many global supply chains, I would assume, would be an issue as well. As you get further up the tiers, you probably end up getting smaller and smaller suppliers and that are less and less sophisticated in terms of their approach to this issue. So how do you even begin to approach that? Yeah, yeah very good question. And, and you're absolutely right, of course. You know, designed in California, assembled in China with componentry that's been manufactured in Malaysia and, and a number of other countries, were some of which you may not even be aware of. That, that really is a challenge. I, I think for me, again, it's about really trying to map out at the outset what your supply chain is going to be looking like and, and setting some very clear guidelines to your suppliers as to how you expect them to manage your information and deal with your information. And also writing into the contract in the way that you deal with your tier ones that some of these requirements have to be passed on to the tier twos and the tier threes. The only way that you can make sure that some of these things are happening, of course, is through an audit process. You're not going to be able to go out there and, uh, and audit all of the suppliers within the supply chain. But you can, I think, expect some of your uh, Tier 1s and Tier 2s to be self-auditing with you doing occasional um, on-site uh, audits. But it comes down to risk again, Bob. You know, um, instead of trying to boil the ocean, let's focus on which elements of information are most important to our business which elements do we feel carries the most risk in the way that either they're being shared or stored, or actually we simply don't know? That, for me, is also a red flag. You know, if I don't know how my information is being managed, I probably need to do some homework and go in there and dig around a bit and just find out what's, uh, what's going on. So it comes back to, uh, to risk management um, and, and really looking long and hard at that overall supply chain to say, where can I direct my resources so that I get the best return on time invested and also hit some of the real hotspots that I'm most concerned about. When it comes to addressing data security, is this an issue of technology where companies should be embracing technological solutions that provide them with a higher level of security? Or is this more just an issue of business process that you've been describing up to this point? It's a combination of the two. I think that technology can help uh, in this particular area. But fundamentally, when you, when you get back down to brass tacks, it is about business process. Uh, and I think that uh, we in the, in the industry you know, tend to get very excited about shiny new toys, new pieces of technology that, that come out. We, we forget oftentimes that actually if we look at things like breaches or loss of data, quite a few of those come about through people. It's the you and I of, of the world who perhaps have made a mistake or, or perhaps have uh, decided for whatever reason that um, uh, you know, we are going to participate in, in uh, uh, some fraudulent activity. Fortunately, that, that's not uh, 
as common as some people would like us to believe. But there are a number of different human factors, is my point, that we also need to take into account that require us to do things like raise levels of awareness, education, throughout uh, the way in which we manage our, our supply chain. So yes, data management and IT systems uh, and tools certainly have a role to play, but we shouldn't forget the human element in all of this as well. Is it sometimes just a matter of people just being lazy? I mean, using uh, weak passwords like admin or something or something like that, that, just obvious stuff that can easily be addressed. You see a lot of that. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And this, this is, uh, you know, exactly the point about education. So people just don't know. Yes, they're, they're lazy or it's, uh, it's simple, isn't it? You've got multiple passwords because you've been told to create a different password across a number of different systems. And so you go for something that's easy to remember or worse still, you write it down. Uh, the other challenge, of course, associated with all of this is that we're accessing these systems from a number of different devices these days. Smartphones, tablets. These are our consumer devices. They weren't designed to be highly secure. And so we need to be questioning as well, you know, how are we accessing some of this data that is of value? And what are the guidelines that we ought to be putting in place, uh, again, around that? We can force a number of these things. You know, we can force access to systems down encrypted routes, for instance, or using uh, certain devices over others. Uh, and again, it really is about looking at that supply chain and the different access points at, a, at a, an overall level in determining where you need to be focusing your attention. So the era of the Internet of Things presents us with new threats and new risks, right? Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, Internet of Things uh, also presents us with a number of advantages, but uh, with those, unfortunately, do come some, uh, some challenges, too, that, that we're going to have to deal with. And uh, because the Internet of Things is a reality, it's, uh, it's not something that, that isn't going to come about. It, it's, it's here, it's now, and... Uh, and we're living it. I want to get back for a moment to your point about the importance of undertaking a risk assessment, because that sounds like a big job, and I'm just wondering how a company entering into a process like that of the first time can even begin to get its arms around that around that initiative. I'm wondering if there are uh, guidelines that, that companies can benchmark against or just might some initial steps. Just how do you even begin to undertake or even understand where your risks are? Yeah, good, good question, Bob. And, and the answer is there are uh, ways in which you can do that. There are tools out there that enable you to do it. Benchmarking is not a bad way to, to start to understand how you stack up against others. But to your point about risk assessment, th there are some, some great tools out there. My own organization produces one that, that obviously I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a fan of that, that allows you to start with the scoping, first of all, of the, uh, of the issue. What is the the business impact and uh, the business environment that you're then drilling into. So you're coming at it perhaps from the business standpoint. For me, that's always the best way to start because actually, you know, the supply chain is core to your business. So let's look at business impact. Then let's look at some of the, the threats that exist out there and some of the vulnerabilities perhaps um, and really come up with a risk profile for your organization um, that allows you then to evaluate risk. Now, that, that may sound rather complex, but actually it's a staged process that you can work through uh, with different inputs. And what I've found certainly working with organizations in this space is that a flexible methodology such as that is really what you need because no two organizations are the same. Different organizations will view risk in a different way. They will have different infrastructure. They will have different levels of maturity across their supply chain, 
you need to take all of those different factors into account. And having an effective tool or a methodology that allows you to do that is certainly a, a, a good way to go to just make things simple and also to engage with the business because this isn't just the job of security. And I can't emphasize that enough. We're all involved in this uh, supply chain issue from security through to uh, through to the business guys. And, and sitting down and figuring it out collectively is, uh, is really the way to go. I would assume that every company worth its salt has some kind of a security chief or a security organization in order to undertake some of these initiatives. And I'm wondering, what's your recommendation for where should that individual reside? How high in the in the management structure should that person or people be? What should they be called? Just uh, how how do you approach it from a personnel level? Yeah, uh, a lot of discussion going on about this at the moment in the industry. Um, a lot of change that we're seeing. I mean, I've uh, I've seen the kind of individuals that you're you're referring to uh, report through to various C levels. Um, the CFO is uh, is certainly an area where I'm seeing some at the moment. I'm seeing others go through into the traditional area, perhaps you know the CIO, the CTO. But I'm also seeing some um, reporting through to people that are perhaps not quite so uh, well known, uh, or, or you wouldn't have assumed, like the chief strategy officer. So variety of different. Um, homes, if you like, for the uh, uh, for the security chief uh, at the moment. What is clear, though, and what is emerging to me in all of this is that there isn't one size fits all. It is down to the way in which the organisation views cyber security, cyber resilience, and the importance that that plays in its day to day business. Um, I mentioned the CFO, for instance. The reason why security is going into that uh, home in a number of areas is those organizations have recognized that there is a serious external market impact from any breach or, or hack. And so the CFO is the guy who's having to stand up and justify what has happened and, and the, uh, the processes that uh, the organization went through to try to prevent them happening to shareholders, to external market, uh, to customers and so on. From a strategic perspective, those are organizations that really are trying to build security into their future strategic direction. So they tend to be a little bit more forward-looking than, uh, than some of the uh, some of the others. Uh, and then those that still have it within the CIO or CTO organization tend in the main to be, to be focused on the uh, more on the technology elements, and so that's quite a natural home. Underneath all of this, of course, there is still the need for, uh, for, for sound business practices, irrespective of where the chief actually sits. Uh, but what's important... It's flow of information from the top of the company right the way down so that those in the boardroom really do understand some of the implications of the decisions that they make, not just on supply chain, but on the overall business. Because cyber security and cyber resilience can have an impact across the organization, not just within certain pockets. Given all the recent horror stories we've seen in the news about cyber breaches, I would like to think that companies are pretty well enlightened at the very top of the companies on the importance of good security. Is that, in fact, the case, or do you think that awareness is not really that pervasive after all? We've seen an improvement. There's certainly no, uh, no question of that. Uh, we're in a much better position now than we were. The issue uh, I think that organizations are now uh, grappling with is so what do we actually do about it? How do we go about dealing with this particular issue? The first step, of course, is, is to get awareness in the boardroom. I think we have achieved that. The second is 
then to uh, really focus on what we can do. And this area is a huge challenge because we're talking about resilience, and, when, and, and that means planning for the unexpected. It means planning for things that may suddenly come at you from left field that you never really were aware of or perhaps understood could, could impact your business. So it's planning for the unknowns, and that requires an organization to be nimble, adept at being responsive, and much more agile than in a traditional environment. And I think there is also a, a, the question that will always be asked around return on investment. So I'm investing X million dollars in my security budget, and yet you're telling me you can't guarantee that you're going to keep a hacker or a, or a cyber criminal out. Explain to me how that one works is, is really the sort of questions that, that, I, that I'm hearing all, all too often, and they're tough ones to answer. And then I guess finally the idea that it's not just suppliers, traditional suppliers we're talking about here that are points that are potentially weak points. I mean, if Target, if their, if their system was breached through, uh, I believe, some kind of an air conditioning vendor or something like that, we really have to take into account every conceivable partner in a supply chain, no matter how minor or how off to the side they seem to be. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Bob, and, and that's why my advice is always focus on the information, focus on who's accessing the information, what is critical about the information, and how you need to be protecting it. But you're right, and it isn't just people like uh, HVAC suppliers. It's also those that perhaps are sneaking under the under the radar still, like accountants, uh, lawyers. You know, we make assumptions about the way that some of uh, some of these professions would uh, perhaps be storing and managing our information. Uh, and perhaps we don't ask some of the questions that we ought to be asking of, uh, of them in terms of uh, how they're storing it, how they're accessing it, and what they do with it. They're pretty privy to some sensitive information, and they too can be, um, can be targets uh, in order to, to access our information through the third party. So um, it's, uh, there's plenty of work to be done in terms of uh, really trying to get on top of this, this supply chain issue. Well, it certainly seems to be a daunting landscape, but Steve Durbin, I really appreciate your being with us today to help us understand how companies might navigate that with some success. So thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you for asking me, Bob. It's been a pleasure. That was my conversation with Steve Durbin of the Information Security Forum talking about how supply chains can protect themselves against cybercrime. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.